0: Esther chapter number 4 tonight. I just want to read two verses to you, and then I want to give you a bit of context about the book of Esther, and then we'll look at a few thoughts. Esther chapter 4, verse number 13. The Bible says, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Would you pray with me this evening? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank You for meeting with us this morning. Thank You for meeting with us tonight already in the singing and the testimonies and the poems. But God, I'd ask that in these next few moments as we read and preach from Your Holy Word, that our hearts would be open to the truths that You'd have us to gain. Father, we need You tonight. We don't just need form and function. We don't just need principles, but the person and presence of, of Jesus Christ tonight and of the Holy Spirit in a mighty way. So, God, that's what we ask for in a very deliberate and specific way. It's what we're praying for tonight, Lord. We're praying that hearts would be touched. Lord, that we're praying that if there's one amongst us that's lost, that they'd be shown their need of Christ's salvation, that they'd come to the Savior and be born again by the Spirit of God. Lord, help us to be submitted to the Holy Spirit in all that we do. We love and thank You for it. Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Esther chapter number 4 is probably one of the more climactic passages in the book of Esther. Most of the time, I shared with them on Friday morning, most of the time, if you ask a group of ladies what their favorite book of the Bible is, most of them will say Ruth or Esther. Amen. That's because both of them uh, have ladies as the heroes of the book, if you will. Of course, the Lord is really the hero of every book in the Word of God. But they are the central figure throughout the or throughout these books, and uh, probably the reason that they bear their names. Amen. But as you read the book of Esther, you'll find that it is in stark contrast with the book of Ruth. It pre- presents in many ways some similar thoughts, but in a lot of ways it's vastly contrasting. In the book of Ruth, we have the story of a little Moabite handmaid uh, living a hopeless life and living a hurtful life and a heartbroken life. But thank God that there was a man named Boaz that was willing to pay the price for her, to redeem her, to give her a future that she couldn't have had. Let me say that I'm thankful that as a broken sinner, we have one that was willing to pay our price, to make a way for salvation. But in the book of Esther, we have the story of a young Jewish lady rises from obscurity to becoming the queen of a world empire. Uh, Ahazuerus, the emperor at this time and the king at the palace at Shushan over the Medo Persian Empire, has a queen by the name of Vashti or Vashti. And one day uh, the king Ahasuerus is having a grand and vast party to display his wealth and his supremacy. And he asked that Vashti, his wife, come in, present herself before the group of men there, that they may behold her beauty. And I told him the other day, I don't know whether he meant anything lewd or illicit by it. He may have, and I don't know. I don't know if Vashti was right or wrong in refusing to go. But that's the way that it happened. She says, I will not go. I'm not going to go to this party. I'm not going to put myself on display and parade myself. And so Ahasuerus, out of anger, decides that he's going to put away Queen Vashti. And he casts her out of his presence. That leaves a problem for King Ahasuerus. He has need of a queen. So he sends word throughout all the land for the maids to be brought, and to be set before him, that he might choose a new queen. Well, there's a lot of ladies that are brought before his eyes and brought before his presence. But he finds favor in the heart and puts favor upon the life of a young Jewish lady by the name of Esther. Takes Esther to be his wife. And the Bible says that he loved her greatly. And so this romance begins between this Gentile king and this little Jewish girl that rises from obscurity. Well, in the process of time, the Bible teaches that a man by the name of Haman comes up with a scheme, if you will, a plan to destroy the Jews. There's always been a plan to destroy God's people. There's a plan today to destroy God's people. Sometimes I'm afraid America's a part of it. There's always been a plan to destroy the Jew. And we find that uh, as we study this passage that Haman goes to King Ahasuerus and tells him, says there's a group of people in your kingdom that are trying to subvert your authority and are trying to raise people up against you. And it'd be your, in your best interest, king, for you to sign a decree uh, that would uh, cause the destruction and death of all of the Jews in this land. And Haman says, if you'll do that, I'll give so much money to your kingdom and I'll see that it's carried out. Well, Ahasuerus believes that sounds like a pretty good idea. I don't know if he forgot that his wife was Jewish. I don't know if he didn't know that she was Jewish. But he decides that sounds like a pretty good idea. So he signs it in an unchangeable law. The law of the Medes and the Persians was that it could not be altered. Even the king himself did not have the capacity to change a law that had been passed under the Medo-Persian Empire. And so, whenever this edict is signed, this decree is given forth, and it's passed around the land, comes into the hands of Esther's cousin by the name of Mordecai, who of course is also a Jew. Mordecai is greatly grieved by this. Of course, it means death and destruction to his household and to his people. And so, in chapter number four, we have an interaction and exchange taking place between Esther and Mordecai as they discuss the possibility of saving the Jewish people. Mordecai sends word to Esther, says, you've got to go in before the king and plead for his mercy and plead for his favor and plead that he would do away with this decree. Esther sends back word and says, if I go in before the presence of the king and I've not been bidden, then it means death to me. I cannot do that. Back and forth they go, and you can read chapter 4 in your own time. But finally, it seems that this last letter and this last uh, bit of information that Mordecai sends to Esther is enough to convince her of her need of going before the king. But as I read this passage, there's a few thoughts that jumped out to me. And I thought about Esther. Here's Esther sitting upon a throne. Here's Esther in a place of comfort. Here's Esther in a place of ease and relaxation. Here's Esther in a place of power. Here's Esther in a position to satisfy her flesh and her desires, to live a comfortable life and to do what she chooses, and to ignore the will of God and the work of God. Here's Esther, and she's got some choices to make. She's got to decide whether she's going to come off of her throne, go and stand before the king, take a risk, and do the work of God, or whether she's going to choose to sit relaxed. And appease our own self. You know, church, that's a choice every one of us has today. I mean, when it gets right down to it, that's the choice that we have. Can I tell you that there's a lot of people that God is serving, but very few that are serving God today. There's a lot of people that God is doing things for that are doing very little for God in this day that we live in. And there's very, very few people that are willing to launch out into the deep like Peter did and take a stand for God and say, I will inconvenience myself. I will inconvenience my flesh. I will inconvenience what I want to do. And I am willing to serve God. God's blessed us, church. You know that? God's blessed us in a big way, every one of us. I like what Brother Larry said. You know, we very rarely count the blessings God has given to us. And probably that's why we stay discouraged. If we just count them every now and then, it'd probably help us a little bit. The man that wrote the song, Count Your Many Blessings, had fallen into great depression and discouragement. He decided he was going to take his own life. But before he did so, he didn't want his family to believe he was ungrateful. And so he sat down and said, I'm going to write out every blessing that God's given me and thank Him for those because I don't want my family to think that I'm an ungrateful or selfish person. And he sat down and he began to write and he filled up a piece of paper. And so he got another piece of paper and he began to write again. And he filled that piece up. And he got another one, filled it up, page after page after page after page. Finally, he just pushed the pages away and said, I can't kill myself. God has been too good to me. It'd do us some good to count our blessings from time to time. God's been good to us. There's probably not a single one of us that didn't go home uh, with a roof over our head and four walls at least surrounding us. There's probably not one of us that had to go hungry this afternoon because we just could not find anything to eat. God's blessed us greatly. My question is this, what are we doing to bless the Lord? Now what the Psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in, within me. What are we doing? I know what God's doing for us. What are we doing for God? I know how good God's been to us. How good have we been to God? I know how much God has worked for us. My question, how much are we working for God tonight? As we read this passage, we find that Esther is faced with a choice similar to what you and I are faced with. Do you know it's easy to not serve God? Do you know, in fact, that if you just do what you want to do, you won't serve God? It's a choice that has to be made. It is a place of comfort in the flesh to not serve God. But it is a place of conforming to the Spirit of God to serve Him. It's easy to not serve God. And I always heard it put this way, that any old dead fish can float downstream. But in this passage, there's three thoughts I want to give you. And I'm I'm going to try to be quick tonight. I want you to notice verse number 14 again. Mordecai speaking to Esther, says this, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, Then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. I want to just take a look at the effect of not serving God upon the work of God. I've said this before, I, you know, I, I've always appreciated that little mule there in the New Testament, that little colt, that little foal that uh, that the Lord sent the disciples after that was going to carry him into Jerusalem. And I thank the Lord that he'll just use a little old colt. I'm thankful, hey, he can make a donkey speak his word, and you wonder why he calls some of us to preach sometime, amen? I'm thankful for that passage. You know why? Because I like a little phrase that's used in it, the Lord hath need of him. And can I say that there's a work of God for each of us to do that's specific for each of us to do. But can I say to you this? You know, if you don't serve God, God's work is still going to get done. Now, maybe not in this local body like it ought to be. Maybe not in another local body like it ought to be. Uh, there may be some things that are left undone, but the vast work of God that He's doing in this day that we live in, God will find a man, God will find a woman, God will find a family, God will find a preacher, God will find somebody to do His work. It just ain't gonna be you unless you make up your mind that it's gonna be you. That's simple, isn't it? That's our choice to make. You say, preacher, are you telling me if I don't serve God, I'm not going to go to heaven? No, hallelujah, that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by His grace. Yeah, sure, you can be saved and not serve God, if you want to be. You say, preacher, will that hinder the work of God? In a limited way it might, but ultimately God's work is going to be accomplished. You know who that's going to affect? That's going to affect you. That's who it's going to affect. The work of God will go on. And don't think for one moment, you know, let me try to say this in as nice a way as possible. There ain't a one of us that's indisposable. That's what they always told me at work. That's an encouraging thing to hear at work, isn't it? They'd always tell us that fellows be standing around, they'd they'd look around, they'd be talking about somebody, they'd say, you know, there ain't none of us that's indisposable. You know why we have the workers to do the work that we have to do the work that we do? Because God's provided them. You, You know, when you rob yourself of serving God, you rob yourself of a blessing. But God will provide the workers. God will provide the need. God will provide the money. God will provide the effort. God will always see to His business. God will always take care of those needs. The question is, are you going to be a part of that? Are you going to be a part? Preacher, I'm not able to. I'm too old. Well, you may be too old to do some things, but you're not too old to do anything. Preacher, I'm too young. You might be too young to do some things, but you ain't too young to do anything. Preacher, sure I'm too sick. You might be too sick to do some things, but you're not too good to do too uh, sick to do anything. We all have a work that we can be doing, every one of us. So we see that when we don't serve God, the effect that it has upon the will of God is great, or the work of God is great in our lives. But for the vast work of God, God can't accomplish His work. He always has a man. If you go through the Old Testament, you'll find that no matter how bleak it got, remember what Elijah said. Elijah had been hiding out in the wilderness. And uh, he had stood uh, against the prophets of Baal. Had that great showdown on the mountain. Amen. And uh, afterwards he came down off the mountain and he goes to Jezreel. And he finds out that Jezebel's got a death warrant out on him. She wants his head. And so when he sees that, that's what the Bible says. You get your eyes on the, the circumstance, it'll discourage you like that. You just keep your eyes on the Savior and you'll go on. When he saw that, he fled. And he went out three days into the wilderness and he left his servant there and he went out further. He sat under a juniper tree. He said, Lord, just let me die. I'm not better than my fathers. Just let me die. And the Lord let him cry it out for a little while. You ever let your child cry it out before? You ever done that? <laughs> Lord just let him cry it out. Then he woke him up. He said, the journey is too great for thee. And he sent him out. And he traveled all the way, all the way from northern Israel down to the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula, all the way to the mountain of God to Horeb. And he gets there and he goes into a cave. And we find out what it really comes down to. Because you know what Elijah says? Elijah says to the Lord, I have been jealous for the Lord God of Israel. He says, I and I alone am left. Elijah said, I'm the only person serving God. I'm the only person working for God. You ever felt like that sometimes? Oh, I know we won't admit that because we seem like we're being judgmental. But you be honest and you'd have to admit that there's been times in your life when you've said, boy, it just seems like I'm the only one trying. But you know what the Lord said to him? I like this. He said, I've got 700 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You know what Elijah thought? This is a rude awakening to preachers and to those in the pews alike. Elijah said, Lord, you need me. I'm the only one left. God said, you're not the only one left. I got 700 in Israel alone that have not bowed the knee. God always meets those needs. And so Mordecai tells Esther, says, Esther, if you won't take a stand, God will deliver the Jews. If you hold your peace, God will. And by the way, you know, that's all it takes to not serve God. You don't have to go out here and get drunk to not serve God. You don't have to go out here and get on drugs or step out on your spouse to not serve God. All you have to do is altogether hold your peace. That's sufficient. Just doing nothing is enough to give the devil an edge. And so we see the effect on the work of God. But I want you to notice a second thing. This I think is important. It says, If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. Notice this next phrase but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed we see the effect of not serving god on the work of god but we see it on the well-being of god's people it's what i really want you to get tonight and I, and listen i am not i'm not pre this isn't this isn't an event preaching you know what i mean by by saying that i'm not i'm not trying to preach out a problem tonight i'm just sharing you the the message god gave to him. we just come out of church camp a couple weeks ago and saw the Lord do a mighty work, and the workers were great and everything. I'm not up here with an agenda. This is just the mind of God tonight. But this is what I want you to get. Mordecai looks at Esther and says, You know, Esther, if you don't serve God, if you don't serve God, God will find somebody to serve Him. And it might have been easy for Esther to say, Well, good, that takes it off me. But then he says, But thy and my father's house shall be destroyed. There's an effect of not serving God upon the lives of God's people. You know why we have so many unhappy Christians? I'm going to preach to our young people for a minute. You're not in trouble. I'm just preaching to you. Listen, I want you all to get this through your head at a young age. You understand? I want you to get it through your head that you were put on this earth to be saved from your sins and to serve God and glorify Him. That's why you're here. You're not going to be happy if you're not serving God. That's what it comes down to. You're not going to be happy. You can try everything to be happy, but unless you're serving God, if you're a born-again, blood-washed belief, if you're washed in the blood, if you've been saved, you're not going to be satisfied unless you're serving God. Try anything else you want to try. Let me preach at the adults for a while. What do y'all kids think about that? little amen corner is going to say, (laughs) amen. And for us adults, too. It don't matter what we try to pour into that void in our lives. If we're not serving God, it's going to eat us alive. You know why marriages are failing? You know why marriages are failing? Because Christ is not the foundation and the cornerstone. And because their life is not about serving God. It upsets some people when you talk about making serving God your life. You know why people say that's too much to ask? And the reason why people say that is because they think they're serving God for their church. And listen, if it was for the church, it'd probably be a lot to ask of you. And they think, well, I'm serving God for the preacher. And if it was for the preacher, it's a lot to ask of you. But let me tell you something. If you're serving God for Jesus Christ, there's nothing that He could ask that's too much of you. Nothing that He could ask that's too much. He gave it all for you. And we want to give Him the table scraps. Something wrong with that, isn't there? That's why marriages are failing. People are unhappy because they're not fulfilling the purpose for which God created them. They're not serving God. And then they wonder whether life has no meaning and no purpose. Let me give you a deep theological, spiritual term here. Duh! Amen? It's because you're not serving God. That's what He puts you here for. You say, preacher, i got a big old house. Good. It'll burn up one of these days. Preacher, i got a nice car. God bless you. Let me borrow it sometime. But it's going to burn up one of these days. The fact of the matter is, only the things you do for Christ will last. You're missing your purpose. It's no wonder that we've got so many empty homes and empty marriages and empty lives because we're living and all we're doing is empty things. It's no wonder. It's not too much to ask for you to give your life to Christ. He gave His to you. It's not too much to ask. not too much to ask for you to serve the Lord and be faithful to Him. Preacher, it's hard. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was hard on the Lord. But let me give you something further than that. It's not, it's not just that you owe it. Now, you do owe it to Him. We all owe it to Him. We're debtors. Amen? We're debtors. But further than that, you're not going to be happy unless you are doing it. I believe if I was miserable, if I was saved tonight and miserable tonight, if I'm sitting in this pew, And if I'm saved and miserable tonight, you know where I'd start? I'd start by asking myself this, am I really living for Jesus Christ? Because if you're not, you'll have no joy. You'll have no happiness whatsoever. Quickest way for a marriage to fail is people get out of church and quit serving God. That's the quickest way. I think it's interesting. I grew up in Christian school. And that's good and bad. Amen. (laughs) Christian school kids are a different kind of wicked. (laughs) They are wicked. They're just a different kind of wicked. I figured my two Christian school teachers would be up on the pews shouting, amen. But uh they're just a different kind of wicked. And I, I, you know, I grew up in a Christian school. I grew up in a fundamental church, a fundamental Bible-believing church with all of its T's crossed and its I's dotted, amen. But you know what I saw? I saw a lot of homes that were in the right environment utterly crumble. Utterly crumble. And you know what people do, and I've seen the a thousand times. I've seen people get their kids in Christian education, get their family in church. And then when it falls apart, they say, preacher, I don't know what happened. My question is always this. Is it in the home? Is Christ in the home? You know what we've tried to do in this day that we live in? We've tried to pawn our responsibility and our walk with Christ off on everybody else. We think if we're in a good fundamental church that that's all it takes. We don't have to walk with God ourselves because we're going to go and get fed from the trough. Amen? Amen? But the fact of the matter is, you can go to the right kind of church with the right kind of singing. You can go to the right kind of church with the right kind of Bible. You can go to the right kind of church with the right kind of preaching, the right kind of environment. And your family fall apart if Christ is not at the heart and center of your home and of your life. That's the reality of it tonight. We find that Esther would have destroyed herself by doing nothing. She did not have to do something to destroy herself. She just had to do nothing to destroy yourself. But not only yourself, but her father's house. Listen, tonight, daddies, I'm going to be one. I can preach at you now. Amen. You've had it easy for the past two and a half years. But Nellie, bar the door. I've got one on the way. <laughs> daddies, do you know it's not just your life you can wreck? It's your house and your household. It's your wife and your children if you don't serve God. Uh, you say, oh, preacher, you mean if I go out and get drunk? No, no. Now of course you do that, you're gonna make a mess of things. No, I'm just saying if you don't serve God. Oh, preacher, you mean if I decide to step out on my spouse and, and shack up with somebody, that can destroy my home? Well sure it can! But no, you don't even have to do that. If you just don't serve God, that'll be sufficient. That'll be, that's what's happened to our fundamental movement that we live in today. We got a bunch of people with a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I got the form right they got the look right. they got everything right except the Spirit of God isn't in control of their life. He's where the power's at. He's not in control of their life. And then we lament and moan and cry and wonder and say, oh God, what happened? But God said it's not about that. It's about whether your life is given to me. It's about whether you're living for me. We find that there's an effect not only on the work of God and on the well-being of God's people. I want you to notice the third and final thing. I want you to notice there's an effect on the will of God. Mordecai says, For who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You know what Mordecai is telling Esther? He's saying, Esther, I kind of believe this is the reason God puts you here. I kind of believe this is the work God has for you to do. Esther, I kind of believe that if you don't do this... You've missed the whole thing. There's a lot of things we try to do to get to get our lives in order. And there's a lot of things we try to do to find the will of God. I believe there's certain aspects of the will of God, the revealed will of God that are very clear in the Word of God. Now I think there's what we might call the unrevealed will of God or the detailed will of God or the specific will of God or the particular will of God. Gary, you can pick any of those, they'll do fine. So there's, But what we mean by that is the revealed will of God is for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ concerning you. That's the revealed will of God. It's the will of God that you be saved. It's the will of God that you read your Bible. It's the will of God that you pray. It's the will of God that you share the gospel. It's the will of God that you be faithful to God's house. It's the will of God that you lead your family in the right way. And on and on we could go. But then the particular will of God is where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? What kind of car am I going to drive? The details of our life. You know what I found in young... I'm going to come back to young people. You know what I found in young people being a youth pastor? Every young person is supremely concerned with the particular will of God. I never met a young person that didn't want to know who they was going to marry. I never met a young person that didn't want to know where they was going to go to college. I never met a young person didn't want to know where they was going to live. And the only reason that adults aren't quite so bad about that is they've already married someone, gone to college and living somewhere and found out it ain't all it's cracked up to be, amen? But the reality of it is this. We get so consumed with the particulars of the will of God that we can miss the will of God by not obeying the revealed will of God. Very simple tonight. God's revealed to you some things that He wants you to do. That's your purpose in life. Your purpose is not to make that paycheck. I know you may have to make that paycheck. God expects us to work. The Bible says that if a man won't take care of his household, he's worse than an infidel and he's denied the faith. God said if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. I believe in work. But the purpose of you being on this earth is not to work. We blew that in the garden, amen? (laughs) That's not the will of God for us now. I mean, we need to work, but that's not the purpose. And it's good to have a good, you know, love your family. That's important. I believe a man ought to love his family. There's lots of men love their family, but do it out of selfishness because they just appreciate their family and what it means to them. That's what we call morality, not spirituality. But at the end of the day, if we will not obey the revealed will of God, we're going to miss the unrevealed will of God. You know, God's will is not a big secret God is not trying to hide His will from anyone. It's just you and me. You know how some people say, well, I'd love to no know the way that I'm going to die because I'd just avoid it. That's dumb. D- does that not have a ring of stupidity to you? kind of does to me. I wouldn't want to know the way I was going to die. You know why? Because knowing me, I'm going to die eating a steak, Ralph. And then for the rest of my life, I'd be scared to eat a steak. I'd sooner not know and eat all of them up till the end. I don't know. But there's certain elements and certain things in our life that we say, oh, I just wish I knew that. I just wish I knew it. But at the end of the day, if you're not obeying God in what you know to do, don't expect Him to share anything new with you. God doesn't reveal those details of our life, Ralph, because it would affect and change the way that we live. There are certain things about the will of God that we can't know right now. When the time comes for us to know them, we will know them. But God is not purposefully trying to conceal His will from us and trying to be secretive. He's doing things in His own perfect timing. But the problem with most believers is they're so focused on those particulars, they're not even reading their Bible. They're not praying. They're not serving God. They're not not walking with God. God's not going to reveal those things to you. You're not even doing the basic things. God's not going to reveal the other things to you. And you're missing the entire purpose of your existence. That's why you walk this earth. Why you draw breath in the morning. Why your legs function. Why your arms function. Why your brain functions, some of us. (laughs) It's to serve God and to be found under His praise, honor, and glory. If you're not doing that, neighbor, you've missed it tonight. Let me give you some good news, and I'm going to close. You always close with good news. (laughs) Can I give you some good news and can I say for you tonight that you make the decision Esther did. You know what Esther did? She got up out of her throne, stepped down into the work that God given her to do. Throne's usually real high. You all know that, right? Throne's usually real high up in the air. I look at the kids and they go, <laughs> they think they've done something wrong. Throne's usually real high up in the air. You know what she had to do? She had to come off of her pedestal, step down into the work was effort there was risk in it there was let me just say this you know there's risk in serving god sometimes not that it's not going to turn out well not that god's not going to honor it and bless it but do you know a lot of people won't even set foot into a church house they say, "Well, somebody's hurt my feelings one time you know you love people with the love of christ they're liable to hurt you from time to time esther said if i perish i perish she said i'm casting caution to the wind and i made up my mind to serve god today we find that the Lord delivered Esther and the Jews, hung Haman on the very gallows he had built to hang the Jews upon. Do you know that one of these days the Lord will honor it? He may not honor it right this this very moment, but you serve God, you'll find it will be the best for your family. You want to keep your family together, serve God. You want to keep your marriage together, serve God. Oh, I'm not just talking about going to church, I'm talking about serving God. I'm talking about giving Him your life. You want to be happy? Serve God. The Bible says that God has given us all things pertaining unto life and godliness. The question is, what are we doing with them tonight? Their heads bowed with their eyes closed. The altar's open right now. If you need to come, I want you to go ahead and slip out. You don't have to wait until the first note's played, but I want you to come tonight as the musician slips to the piano.